Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. I'm so excited about this veteran guest today here on Straight Out of Combat Radio. Met Russ Barnes over in Orlando about four weeks ago at the Military Influencer Conference. I had heard a lot about him, and I was super excited to see him when he was over there. This man is a aviator from the Air Force. He flew combat missions in B-52s during Desert Storm. After that, he held senior leadership positions in several higher headquarters staff organizations, which included Air Combat Command Headquarters, the Pentagon, Strategic Combat Headquarters, European Command Headquarters, and Central Command Headquarters. Now, this is the first Legion of Merit veteran that I've ever met. And I got to tell you, that, that's an award they just don't hand out. This man earned that award along with the Air Medal, Defense, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, and over 20 other peacetime and wartime decorations. I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, Colonel Barnes is retired. He, he did all those years for us on all those missions and all those important headquarter places. Currently, he is the CEO and senior business advisor to entrepreneurs and exec- executives at Cistro Consulting, his own company, which is an organization design firm specializing in small business development. I got to tell you, the few times that I have talked to Russ, this man's heart, head, and soul is in the game. He cares about America. He cares about entrepreneurs. He brings over 30 years of experience and organization development that he has drawn from his military service, franchise ownership, the academic programs that he has been through, his consulting, where he was raised, how he grew up. He's bringing all of these skill sets to the marketplace, and I am just thrilled to death to have Colonel Barnes here on Straight Outta Combat Radio. Thank you, sir. I'm pleased to be here. Any opportunity to speak to veterans and non-veterans, non-military, is really a pleasure. Well, I wasn't joking, Colonel. You know that. When I'm around you, you got this buzz going on. And, you know, as a business owner to a business owner, uh, I I feel your passion. And I know you you are a bright guy. And uh, you're ready to get out there. You've been helping people for a long time. But I know we're getting ready to help some more people. But before we get there, you know, tell me about... The Barnes family. Tell me about what that was like growing up. I grew up in New York, uh, Long Island, and my family history is from the Bronx primarily. My dad moved us to Long Island in 63, and that's where I grew up. I spent the next 15 years of my life uh, living in Roosevelt, Long Island, and that was a really phenomenal place. Uh, there are quite a number of successful people who came out of that one mile, one square mile little town. And I think there were some foundational things that happened there that enabled me to go out into the world and approach it with the right attitude. The attitude that what you accomplish and achieve is based upon your hard work, it's based upon your determination, it's based upon your passion, and it's based upon your, your desire to, to contribute and make contribution. 
And that really set me up. I'm one of eight children in my family. I'm the third uh, son in uh, a family of eight. I have uh, five brothers and two sisters. And the same thing went for my brothers and sisters. You know, we're all very driven to become something uh, that was going to be a pride to the community. Uh, my dad always told us that uh, he wanted us to go out there and get an education and, and make a contribution and be productive citizens in the community. And uh, that's where it all started. That's where it began. My move into the military uh, started with, again, school. I did well on this scholastic aptitude test. The SATs and the services contacted me about uh, com competing for their scholarships. And I, I thought the Air Force fit me well. I competed for that scholarship and I won. And that's what got me on the path into the military moving forward. Well, let me ask you, you know, coming from a big family, I had brothers, I had brother and sisters too. Um, who were your mentors? The, the, you know, you obviously you had some. My, to be honest, my mentors were books. I, I read everything I could get my hands on. I was constantly reading. I had two or three books in work at all times. If I didn't have a book in my back pocket, then there was something wrong that day. I probably lost it. <laughs> it fell out somewhere. By, by reading as much as I did, that opened me up to a world much bigger than the world that I was living in. And I began to see all these opportunities to do different things. And I had made up my mind at a very young age, probably around the time I was in third grade, that I wanted to be rich. And I started reading books about people who had achieved and acquired massive amounts of wealth. And one of the things I learned at that early age was that Having money without having some purpose was was not fulfilling. You know, none of these people who simply had money demonstrated a, a fulfilling life. So I changed my perspective and said, you know, I would like to be financially independent, but I want to do something that's meaningful along that path. And that's one of the things that change in perspective is what kept me in the military for 27 years. My initial thought was I'll do four years in the, in the Air Force and then I'll get out and make some, some, some real money, get started down that path where I could have the freedom that I was looking for uh, in, a, in a financial way that would enable me to begin to do other things in the world. And it was the leadership, it was the mission, it was that sense of purpose uh, in the military that compelled me to continue on uh, instead of going up, out on a different path that would uh, be primarily framed by the amount of money to control my my freedom. I hear you on that, sir. And you know, it's, it's, it's an understatement when you talk about books because, ladies and gentlemen, I have seen Colonel Barnes's current reading list, and uh, it's not just a list. It's like two or three pages of completed books that he has read. And, and you know, and you're right. I've, I've been told that you can never get enough knowledge. So I know that you and I have a bond there because I read all the time, too. I know you've read that book, The Science of Getting Rich. I have. I know you, I know you have. And, uh, and that, that's a pretty good one. But I know I'm going to go over that list with a few of those books, maybe at the end of our talk here. But, you know, tell, tell us about the Air Force. What did the Air Force teach you? And, you know, flying planes and, and doing the things you did, that stuff's not what everybody does. Tell us right. how you got in that plane. I made a couple of decisions that, that led to a successful career. The first one was when I was in ROTC and I, I started looking around at options for a career, I realized very quickly that I would need to be in an operational career field in order to be uh, 
able to fulfill my, you know, my, my potential. You know, I felt like I needed to be in something that was a uh, high performance team, something that was a uh, leading edge. And so I made the decision when I was in ROTC to go into NAV school. At the time, they were only taking engineers into pilot training, and I was in computer information systems. So the option was for me to go to, to navigation training, and I did that. I made a second decision to go into the B-52 because I enjoyed that low-altitude environment, and there were only two airplanes in the inventory when I came out that flew low-altitude, the, the F-111, FB-111, and the B-52. So by starting out in that career field, I'm in this operational environment, and we were transitioning, beginning to transition from the Cold War into conventional war. So I had the opportunity as a young aviator to fly thousands of hours in my first couple of years, which enabled me to become highly proficient in the airplane at a very young, young age. And at most bases, the progression was that you would be a navigator for three to four years, and then you would upgrade to become the bombardier or the radar navigator, basically the senior guy in, in the downstairs compartment. And I made that move in two years. So uh, that was really a good start to, to my Air Force career. The other aspect of it was as soon as I started in ROTC, the first thing they began to teach us was about leadership. And I was so fascinated with leadership. Uh, you might not be able to tell, but I basically have an introverted personality. So I'm not the rah-rah guy who's going to be out there leading the troops, who's going to be you know, motivating everybody and, and, and making a loud noise. I'm going to be the guy who's back observing, seeing what's happening, assessing situations, strategically looking at desired outcomes, and moving the organization in that direction. And so in many cases, you wouldn't even know that I was there but you could see the results. And as I look back on my career, I said, you know what? That's what made me successful is always getting results all the way down the line. And that's what I look for now in my post-military career. But it was those leadership opportunities, the leadership training, uh, the leadership experiences, and always trying to find a better way to get people to perform at their highest levels that just absolutely fascinated me. And from assignment to assignment, I was able to continue to progress. Uh, and the Air Force also was a benefit for me uh, because I wasn't pigeonholed into one category. I started as a B-52 radar navigator, but my very first staff assignment was working fighter programs at Air Combat Command. Uh, I, I kind of went back to my roots a little bit at Strategic Command, but then I went into the Air Force Doctrine Center where I'm working with Joint Doctrine and Air Force Doctrine, you know, the Pentagon, where I'm a political military officer, European Command, where I was chief of intel plans and requirements, and then over to Central Command, where I'm chief of the policy division, none of which I had any real basic experience in or training in. You know, I didn't study political science in, in, in college or at any point in time. But what it taught me is that leaders can lead anywhere. And when you have good people in your organization, when you train people well, when you work with them, you empower them, then you don't have to be the expert in every tactical detail. They will fill those things in for you at a very proficient level. So these are the things that, yeah, that really kept me uh, excited about the time that I was that I was in the Air Force. Well, I like the way you said that, Colonel, that uh, 
you know, you talk about leadership training and you talk about the technical training. And I know one of the things that you and I had talked about in our last conversation was how when you were flying in those combat missions, how all of that training, those thousands of hours of training, both leadership and technical, made these missions almost like second nature. That you guys were so well trained that everything went off without a hitch, and that's why you all were so successful. Well, the thing of it was, um, as the aviator, a combat aviator in particular, we would fly these missions, these red flag missions. They were red flag, green flag, checkered flag. But essentially, you're putting all the combat airport airplanes and support aircraft in the same airspace, flying a particular uh, profile to achieve a, a desired outcome. So the bombers are working with the fighters and are working with the calm uh, airplanes up there, and everybody's coordinating to uh, to hit this target and take it out. And you know, you have to make sure that everybody is protected. Your bombers get shot down, you don't complete the mission. So the fighters have their requirement to, to make sure the air interceptors are suppressed and all that kind of technical stuff that I'm getting into a little bit here. But I'm doing that for a purpose because as we did that, there are certain ways we communicated, you know. And when I flew my first combat mission, I was so amazed at how everything sounded exactly like red flag. I absolutely couldn't believe it. And I said to myself, this time, though, if we get shot down, we don't get to go back and talk about it and figure out what we did wrong. But the key point was we were well prepared, well prepared. And that gave me the sense that we really knew what we were doing when it come, came to training uh, for combat operations. That's awesome. You know, when so, you know, not to get we're not going to break into anything political here. But when you were flying those missions, you know, a lot of people want to know what did, what did you think we were fighting for, especially in Desert Storm? I know that we had talked about those weapons of mass destruction, but what how did you guys what was it all about for you guys in that plane? For us, it comes down to this. The politicians have their job. The diplomats have their job. These mechanisms are employed and they are used and put in place and, and to the greatest extent possible, they do what they can do. If it comes down to the point where they have to call us to go in and do our jobs, there's no conversation at that point. We are responsible for doing our jobs and we don't question whether or not the politicians and the diplomats have done their jobs our commanders are telling us, you need to go do this because uh, this is where we are. This is what is required. This is what you were uh, called upon to do. And like they say, you know, we signed that check that said, we'll, we'll, um, we'll meet what our commander in chief tells us to do. And we don't, we don't challenge, we don't challenge that. Um, at that point, there's, there's no, it's not a question. Yeah, that's not something that we did. We do the job to the best ability that we can, and we try to get it done quickly with the minimum loss of life uh, possible. Well, it's quite obvious to anybody that's from the outside looking in that, uh, you know, after 27 years of service to the United States and to the Air Force, with all the awards that you got, that you did your job to the highest standard. And uh, that's remarkable in and of itself. Like I said earlier, you don't meet very many guys with the Legion of Merit. So thank you for that. Um, really want to, you know, I know it's different for an officer as it is for an enlisted person, but, you know, tell us a little bit. I know 
I know you have a nice family. I think you've got four sons and, uh, yeah, they look awesome. It's tough to raise kids these days. And, you know, I know that your wife back home had a lot to do with that. You being, a an air force officer, I'm sure there were many times that you weren't around. And, and so we have to give her credit for that, but you know, tell us a little bit about that transition as an officer into the private sector. And then I want to get into what you're doing now, what we can, you know, how we can bring more entrepreneurs into your airspace, if you will. Okay, John, and I'm I'm going to step back for a minute because I do have to say that my wife did a phenomenal job with the family. Uh, We were married when I was still a second lieutenant. I had already started on active duty. I'd gone through my initial flight training and actually finished my uh, my survival school training when we were when we were married. I had about a month off before I had to show up for combat crew training. And so she's been with me the entire time, the entire 27 years on active duty. And uh, up till now, we'll actually celebrate 35 years of marriage in December. So Congratulations, man. Can, that's that's tough, man. Congratulations. And we had the four sons along the way. And I didn't know how they would adapt to military life because, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the same house for you know the 15 years of my life before I went off to college. So I didn't know how they would adjust to that. But my wife did something that was incredible. And that was every time, you know, I came home and said, we have a new assignment. This is where we're headed. You know, she'd get out there and start doing research and finding out what the new place was like. And then she would tell the boys, oh, this is going to be the greatest adventure. Uh, We're going here and we're going to be able to do this and visit this place and see that and do these things. So they always looked forward to every move. And it has had such an impact on their life post-military because they don't have any apprehension about going anywhere in the world anytime. And you know, my son will pick up and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to take a trip to China. Why are you going to China? I just want to check it out. You know, my other son took a trip to Japan and, and another one just came back from Bali and they, they just go. And I think it's because they're in their formative years, they were they were able to uh, see how enjoyable it could be to move around and meet new people. Um, there was another thing that came from the military that helped my family in its progression through my career. And that was as a second lieutenant in nav school, I had a flight commander who was very, had very good foresight in telling us, if you plan to spend 20 years in the military and you don't expect to go to war, you're fooling yourself. There has never been a 20-year period when this country has not been at war. So you need to prepare yourself and you need to prepare your family for that eventuality. So before my wife and I ever got married, I told her that. We sat down and we had a conversation and I said, I'm going into a a career as a combat aviator and there may be a time when I have to go to war. And we talked about what that meant. And when the time came for me to go off to war, we had... Two children, or we had three children already because the third one was just born. My third son was born maybe about six months before I went off to combat. Uh, my sister was a Marine, and she had a young son who was the same age as, as my second son. And when she left to go off to combat, she sent her son to stay with us. She didn't know I was going at that time. So here it is. I go fly off to war, and my wife is there with four basically infant children during that time. God bless her. (laughs) However, she was the most prepared 
of anybody. There were there were wives who had a very difficult time with their husbands going off to war, as you mentioned. Uh, why are they going? You know, why does this have to happen? Why do they have to go? And they had all these questions, and my wife was prepared, and she knew why I had to go, and she knew why uh, it was important. So it was it was very good for that flight commander to give us that advice moving forward, and it made a difference in my military career uh, from a family standpoint. You know, that is such a great tidbit of information and, and advice because you're right. I don't think there ever has been a 20-year period without some kind of, you know, altercation going on. And that, you know what, I got to tell you, Colonel, that's some of the best advice I've heard on our radio show, you yeah. know, to prepare your families for the eventuality of war, especially if you've chosen this career. Right, right. Yes. So it was very good. That was, that was really good advice for us. And then I made one other decision during my active duty time, and that was that I was going to spend time with my children. And there were some times when uh, I didn't have a choice because I was deployed or I was out of the country. But, you know, I coached football. I coached basketball with the kids. I went to with them to uh, Civil Air Patrol and Boy Scouts. And, and I did all those things because I realized that if I tried to wait until uh, I was stable in my career, that by the time I got that done, they would be grown and out of the house and we would have lost all that time. So now going through all those years, they have great memories. Oh, yeah, when dad coached me in basketball, or, you know, my young, my uh, my third son, as a matter of fact, is coaching basketball now. And, and last year he asked me to be the assistant coach with him. So that's really uh, neat, man. That, like father, well, like son. Now I, you're the assistant coach. That's cool. That's a piece of advice I want to offer to people is if your kids are young, no matter how much pressure you are in your career, you need to take the time to spend it while they are growing up because when it's, when they're grown, it's, it's done. That's great advice. And uh, so many people, you know, we get so wrapped up in our day-to-day lives and as adults, you know, the careers that we've chosen and, you know, those kids are a responsibility too. So that speaks volumes about, um, about who you are and what you believe in and family is strong for you. I can tell. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's our future. You know, that's 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 the future of this country. To me, that's where the real politics come in. If you want to talk about it from that perspective, is because whatever happens in this country moving forward, it's going to be up to the youth that we raise that are going to make it happen. So if you're complaining about the youth, who raised them? <laughs> yes, sir. You got that right. And you know. Uh... <laughs> I, but I tell you this that I know that with with men like you and people like you out there raising those kids, I know that we're still in good hands and we still have that hope that things are going to eventually work out because the sons that you have and the the parents that care about their kids that that teach them the right way about going about doing things. You know what I mean? Right, right. So you so you asked me to transition into uh, post military. Yes, sir. And. Before, when I was considering where my career was going and how long I planned to stay on active duty, I would often ask people who had retired, what made you decide to retire? And to a person, they would always say to me, I don't know, I just knew. And I'm thinking, well, that's not very helpful. There had to be some criteria. Of course, I wouldn't say that to them, but I'm thinking there had to be some criteria, something that lets you know that this is the time. Uh, I need to move, move on. And none of them was there. Well, you know, you just know. And the funny thing about it is when it came time for retirement for me, I just knew. <laughs> I see, so, see that, 
Exactly, man. So something rubbed off on that. So did they, you know, like I said, you know, officers get it a little bit different than we did as NCOs. When you finally made that decision and you just knew, was it, did you guys get any kind of a transition training or it sounds like you already, you had a good thing going on prior that you're already investigating what to do once you got out. But what about that person that may not know that? And and I didn't. I was not investigating what to do, what I would do when I got out, uh, because I was so focused and concentrated on being good at what I was doing at that moment. Uh, there was nothing more important to me than to to fulfill the requirements of the job that I had and be the best at it. So I wasn't thinking about what was I going to do when I did get out of the service, which was a problem. And sometimes they'll, people will say. Oh, about two years before you leave the service, you need to start thinking about it. You need to start preparing for that transition. And two, I could have stayed in the service for another three years. So the most advanced notice I had was a year because I had to put in my retirement papers a year before I actually retired. So I only had a year to think about what I was going to do. And the only thing I knew when I retired about what I was going to do is that I wasn't going to work for anybody ever again. And that was such a, a strong passion. And I knew that it would be a challenge to become an entrepreneur. I knew how difficult that would be. I also knew how difficult it would be to go get a corporate job, uh, doing something that I had already developed the skills, talents, and abilities to do. You know, In other words, coming into come some type of a high leadership position uh, in the civilian world coming out of the military is not an easy thing to do unless you've already had the uh, opportunity to be engaged in that particular community with uh, organizations that uh, where they could get to know, like, and trust you before you retired. Right. And in my job, I didn't have the opportunity to do that. So I had to basically start building a network from scratch. So I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to have control over my ability to earn. I knew that if I worked as hard as I did for my own business as I did on active duty that I felt I had a good chance at being successful, but I also knew there were no guarantees. So the transition was was fairly challenging. And I did go to interviews for companies. Um, you know, my wife really wanted me to do something like that. She felt that I could get a good job with good pay and that that would probably make our lives a, a bit easier. But I, I, I just had this, this, this desire that I couldn't couldn't run away from, but I honored her by going to these interviews. And what I heard at these interviews uh, was, well, you know, you're a pretty impressive guy. You've done a lot of things. Uh, your resume is outstanding, but we really don't see a fit for you in our company. And that surprised me, shocked me a little bit. And uh, I started to talk to other people again and realized that I wasn't the only one in that situation. Uh, many of us uh, from in the senior leadership community were uh, facing those same issues and challenges. And remember, this was 2009, so the economy was a little difficult at the time as well. Right. Uh, but I went through the same transition assistance program as the NCOs and as the enlisted folks who had you know, done maybe one tour, or four-year, five-year tour. We were all in the same room going through transition assistance, so we didn't get anything differently. I've heard that they've changed that since I retired, but at the time, that was what it was. Uh, Fortunately for me, I knew that I wanted to go into business. I knew that I didn't know enough. I spent some money for for training uh, in like business to government and how do you do business with the government. But I met a lady at trans in the transition assistance program who was uh, 
selling franchises, so to speak, matching people with franchises. And so I thought that would be a good fit for me because it put me in an environment where I would be able to learn through someone else's system whether or not I had the capabilities, the skills to become a successful business owner. And so a few months down the line, uh, I, I got involved with, uh, with a company that was a franchise. And I, my first job, so to speak, out of the military was as a franchisee. And my first job actually was the day that I had my retirement ceremony. So it worked <laughs> pretty well. That's called a fast track in there. Um, so what kind of franchise was it? A couple of things, though, before that. You know, one yeah. thing that you said, Colonel, that you talked about not wanting to work for anybody. And that that is a unique – that's what one thing that all entrepreneurs have in common, I think, is that we have this – this yearning to be our own, I guess, the commander of our destinies. And that's yes. why I think what you offer now with Sistro, we'll get to Sistro, but that's what I think makes it so unique because yes. you want to be able to help those people that you know that you can relate to and, and impart to them and teach them those skill sets to be able to take that energy and that drive to be their own boss. So that's yeah. that's a unique that's a unique skill set to be kind of like an entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. Yes, yes, exactly. And this is why I eventually ended up forming Sistro. Sistro wasn't my idea when I retired from the military. When I retired from the military, I had one objective, and it was, you know, I had a burning passion to fulfill this objective, and that was to become an entrepreneur. Now, the challenge is most people who decide they want to go into business for themselves make that decision because of something that they want to fulfill for themselves. I wanted freedom. I wanted the ability to control my future. It wasn't about external. It was about something that I had to, I had to fulfill for myself. Now, when a, business, when a person sets out and wants to go into business for themselves, and that is their motivation, it is a real challenge. Because if, you know, I didn't know what product I had to sell. I didn't know what my value was and what I could bring to the community. And I wasn't even thinking of it. I was just thinking, how do I get involved in something that's going to help me replace $40,000 in income that I'm losing as a result of, uh, of my retirement? That was my driving force. So I got into the franchise and being in that franchise, the reason I went into the franchise is because I said, if I'm going to be in business, I need to be in business. I can't tell people I want to be in business while I'm working, working a job somewhere and trying to do this thing on the side. I had to be all in. That was the way I felt about it. Right. So getting into the franchise got me into game. It put me in a community of other business owners. And in that environment, I started to observe and see what was happening in the small business community. And one of the things I noticed is that there are many small business owners who are existing in entrepreneurial poverty. They have their own company, they have the ability to earn, but there's just a certain amount of revenue that they can't get past, you know, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 in annual revenue. And they just can't seem to break through there, even though they have the determination, the commitment, the intellect, and everything that's associated with that. So that's when I begin to say, that's a problem and I think I can solve that problem. I think I can contribute to a solution to that problem. That became a burning desire for me. And it was at that point that I really became an entrepreneur because now it wasn't about how much money do I need to make? How much uh, freedom do I want? You know, it was about 
I need to help that community. And as I've gone through my studies and gone through um, my development of my company, I've realized and learned that the most successful entrepreneurs are theirs, those who are trying to solve someone else's painful problem. That's awesome. You know, I see your life like building blocks. Started out on Long Island. You learned all those things in the family. Off to college, Air Force, combat aviator, franchise owner, burning desire to help people leads you to Cistro. I also right. know that you wrote a book. Yes. Let's talk about the book. And then we'll go to Cistro. But tell us about the book. How did that work? Tell us how that worked. As I was going through this process to understand why business owners weren't making money, I started to realize some things. And the first thing I mentioned to you was where is your perspective? Are you trying to help yourself? Or are you trying to help others? And I started to say, okay, what other things are standing between business owners and profitability? And I started to develop this focus on profitability. How do how does a small business owner, a micro business owner, nine employees or less, and this is the small business administration definition of micro business owner, how do they get the traction to gain enough profitability so they have choices in life? And that is the niche. That is where I am looking to solve. That's the problem I'm looking to solve. And as I started to come up with these ideas and I'm talking to people and talking to people and talking to business owners and working with business owners, and I had gotten to a certain amount of information and I said, I can't continue to try to tell people this. I need to have it in a form where maybe they can just pick it up and read it. And then when we have conversations, we're on the same page to begin with. And we can get to some of the more advanced things that we need to talk about if I'm going to rapidly help them to generate revenue streams and achieve the profitability that they're looking for. So I was working with a client who had a book out. And it was about military transition, but it was called Your Amazing Itty Bitty Book. And it was a series of books. So I asked her about that. It's a very small book. It's 15 pages. And I asked her about it, and she put me in contact with a couple of ladies in California who put together this. They have the publishing company that put together this series. And I was in the middle of my PhD coursework, so I was really busy with that, really busy with Cistro, really busy with a bunch of other things that I was doing, and I didn't have time to sit down and write a full-blown book, but I said, I can do an itty-bitty book. I already have the content <laughs> for that, and it'll give no me doubt. that source of information that I can hand to someone, and, and they can understand my philosophies and where I'm coming from. So the book is called Your Amazing Itty-Bitty Small Business for Service Members Book, 15 Things You Need to Know to Be Purposefully Profitable. And Purposefully Profitable is the framework for everything that I do now. I have the Purposefully Profitable podcast, uh, the Purposefully Profitable program, my workshops or the Purposefully Profitable workshops. So everything frames around that, and it's the intentionality that when you get up every morning, you know that what you are doing is contributing without a doubt to you moving towards your desired outcome, whatever that may be. And so the, the way the book is constructed, uh, one of the things that I found was most important was clarity. If you don't know where you're going, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't have a burning desire to achieve uh, some desired outcome and solve some painful problem for some other person, 
then it's going to be a challenge. So the first one is clarity. And then on the backside of that, it says how to gain clarity. The second chapter, marketability. On the backside, how to find your marketability. If you're not selling something, then you're not in business. You know, business is a value for value exchange. So if you're giving value and receiving nothing in return, that's okay. But you're a philanthropist. You're a charity. And don't consider yourself to be in business. That's okay as long as you have enough revenue or, or, or as enough finances of your own to be a charity, then, you know, go for it. <laughs> which most people don't, you know, the thing yeah. that you point out, which is really important here for everybody who's listening. I like what Colonel Barnes said, purpose, you know, yes. I've had, I've met so many people in my, my life that have this great passion. And passion is kind of like a meteorite. You know, it, yes. it, it, it just burns bright, looks good. Yes. Everybody's pointing at it. And the next thing you know, it's laying in the ground somewhere. That's right. But purpose is like a comet. Yes. The comet's kind of going yes. somewhere. So when you point out purpose, yeah, I love that. Purpose with that burning desire is what's going to get you to the promised land. Is that what I'm hearing, Colonel? Yes. So what I do when I start working with a small business owner the, the the thing, you know, as you said, passion runs hot and cold. But if you tie that passion to an objective and that objective is based upon some defining experience that you've had in your life that says to you, I don't care what happens, I will get there. For me, I said, I don't care what happens, I'm going to be an entrepreneur because that's going to give me the freedom I want. That was powerful. And when I tie my passion to that objective, now, it doesn't matter what obstacles you face. It doesn't matter what challenges come into, in, in the way. You're going to use your best creative mind to find a way to get around it, over it, under it, through it. It doesn't matter. You're going to find a way to get through it. But you have to tie that passion to an objective. And, and, and of course, to me, the two of those together is, is your purpose. That, that kind, of, kind of defines your purpose uh, in a nutshell. But that objective. And so we sit down and figure out what is that objective and what is the defining object uh, defining experience that makes that such a powerful objective for you? You just, uh, you just answered my next question. You're like a question <laughs> ahead of me. So tell, <laughs> tell us about, there you go. You got it already. Tell us about the name Sistro. We got already a little bit of a flavor of what it is, but if I'm a, if I'm a person out there, you know, I got all this, burning desire. I don't want to work for anybody. I think I've got the right idea. Why am I going to come to Colonel Russ Barnes and Sistro? Tell me why I'm coming to you. So everyone has skills, talents, experiences, abilities, and knowledge that provide a personal value for them, that they can turn into something that is marketable. In many cases, people know what that is. Um, maybe, uh, I have experience on active duty in information technology. You know, I was an IT person or I was a cybersecurity person or uh, whatever it may be. We all have some type of skill, talent, and ability that we believe we can turn into a, a business. And I'm going to mention a book here, The E-Myth Revisited. Uh, Michael Gerber talks about that. The, the E-Myth is the entrepreneurial myth. And it's the fact that people go into business with this idea that they're going to control their fate. And when they get in business, then they realize that there's so much more to it that they didn't know <laughs> that so much more to it that they didn't know is where I help. So they know what their marketability could be, 
but then how do you actually put that into a framework that enables you to generate the revenue that you anticipate and would like to generate? That's where, where I come in. So CISPRO stands for Systems, Strategies, and Organization because you have to have some type of a framework. Now, we're all different. We're all different personalities. We have different experiences. We have different products. We're in different industries. So I can't sit down and say, John, if you just do these steps in this order, you're going to achieve your desired outcome because the economy will come and it'll smack you in the side of your head. And then your employees will be upset with you and they'll all quit. Now you don't have that. And then your, 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 your top customer will leave. And you're going to be saying, Russ, you told me that if I do this in this order that I was going to be successful. You didn't tell me about all this other stuff. So in order for you to be able to be adaptable to the environment, you simply need to understand what that environment looks like, what that, and have a framework that enables you to adapt to what's happening in that environment. It's a mindset. It's a, there's, a, there's an entrepreneurial mindset that you have to have. So that's where Cistro comes in. I've created some, some constructs and frameworks and models that if the entrepreneur understands that even if you're a first-time business owner, you will be able to make the right decisions in the right order at the right time to nurture your resources into growth. Uh, an example of a construct uh, that I use early on with, with clients is a focus, strategy, teamwork, resources, appropriate action. Focus goes back to what we talked about in terms of objective. You have to have that objective. You have to be focused. Uh, the next one, which is strategy, is simple definition for me is how do you get from where you are to where you want to be then? Once you know where you want to be, you know what where you are in terms of resources. So how do you get from here to there? You can map that out. You can either go from where you want to be and walk it back and lay out some type of a, 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 a milestone and a timeline and, and, and a roadmap. Or you could go forward and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go in this direction to get there. So again, now who's in control? You're in control. But by having, by us having sat down and had that conversation and discussed that framework, it's what I call structure without restriction. You know, you have a structure, but anything that happens within that structure is based on your creativity, your determination, your energy. So that's like an initial construct, but as you grow, what, what gets you to 100,000 won't get you to a million. What gets you to a million won't get you to 10 million. So along each step along the way, as you grow, you have to learn and you have to make different decisions. And so as, as you go through the CISTRO uh, Purposefully Profitable Program, you begin to understand which constructs apply, which frameworks apply, and it helps you continue to be uh, in control of your own fate. Because that's why you went into business, for freedom. So why would you want to um, sit down and, and, and have to wait on me to tell you what to do. Nobody wants to do that. No, I hear you on that. You know, what's interesting is, you know, you're dealing with these entrepreneurs and I, I and I heard a long time ago, you know, that you can't do it alone. Now, even though these entrepreneurs out there, they got this desire, they got this purpose. I got news, your skill sets that you offer and the way you outline it and frame it the way you just did that is so useful even to those entrepreneurs out there that think they got it all down because to go from point a to point b most people in business will tell you if they had had a mentor or if they had had a a flight plan ahead of time it would have made it 
not necessarily easier, but maybe, maybe, but but it would have given them at least a framework to make that those efforts pay off in a, in a stronger way. So I don't think you can do it alone. I think that you need a mentor. I think that, that companies like yours with mm-hmm. those types of that type of value proposition, man, that's what entrepreneurs need. Yeah. And John, you know, I mean, you said it might make it easier. No, it will make it easier when you have a team of people who are like minded, who are who are sort of patriots to your mission uh, because they see that you're doing something that's helping people improve their lives. It will. And so that's the third. That was the third aspect of that construct. There was focus, strategy, team and team is actually team building slash relationship building. Because it has more to do with there's just somebody you hire. It had more. It, it also has to do with alliances you create. It has to do with mentors. It has to do with coaches and consultants. It has to do with anybody that needs to be in your circle, both your inner circle and your broader circle, that help you fill those gaps, work through those niches, bring levels of areas of expertise that you don't have and don't have the time to develop. So that third piece, you're absolutely right there. And that's why that third piece is there, because once you have an idea of how to get from where you are to where you want to be and you can articulate and describe that, now it becomes easy to talk to the people and those who believe what you believe will be attracted to you. And there's another piece in here that's called the sequence of it. So if I tried to go out and build a team before I set out my focus, establish my focus and, and determine my strategy, they wouldn't get me. They wouldn't understand what I was talking about. And, would be, and you would probably attract the wrong people. So there's also this sort of idea of the sequence of things that will enable you to move forward faster. Uh, the third piece, the fourth piece, of course, is resources. And that's in time and money. How are you using your time? Only so many hours in a day. How are you delegating those types of things? And then your resources in terms of money. You only have so much money available to begin with. How do you grow that? Uh, and if you are doing things out of sequence, you're going to burn through your money. You're going to be out of money. And then you're going to have to figure out how to get some more money, which is going to take you away from serving the customers uh, that you want to serve. And then the final one in that particular construct is appropriate action. With all those things in place, goes back to what I said earlier again. When you wake up every morning, you know without a doubt that the actions you are going to take that day are going to lead you to your desired outcome because you set that out in step one. Absolutely. You know, I have been to your website, www.sistro.org, and I can tell from looking at your website, there's purpose, there's real value, and like we said at the beginning, there is heart and soul. So it's quite obvious to anybody that's looking for something like what you're doing, Colonel, and what you are offering to those entrepreneurs that that it's useful and it's meaningful. You know, Let me ask you this. What does freedom mean to you? What do you want the civilian world to know about veterans and especially combat veterans? I'm, I'm putting you on this. What do you want veterans to know that may be looking for that next step in transition? And then how can those entrepreneurs or those people that want to get to meet you, Colonel, how can they get to you and especially your book? So there's like four or five different things. I know you got it, but, uh, but, but so, you know, starting at freedom and ending with the book, how do we, how do we get there? Freedom for me is being able to express my creativity without concern for how much it's going to cost, uh, without concern for 
someone standing in the way to tell me, no, I can't pursue that. It's, it's, and, and so it really does come back to the word creativity. For me, freedom means the ability to be creative without concern for, for anything you standing in my way. Yeah, that's that's the best I can say. It. <laughs> good <laughs> answer. No, that's a good answer. It's, yeah, that for me, that's freedom. I mean, yeah, I get up in the morning and I can be as creative helping people as, as I want to be. And I don't have to be concerned about how much it's going to cost for me to help those people do whatever they want to do. So that's freedom. Um, what I would like um, non-military folks to, to understand about military veterans is that when we join the military, we have to go through some type of an accession process, by which I mean boot camp, um, officer training school, ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Course, or one of the academies. And going through that process is difficult, it's challenging. It's designed to weed people out. And the people who get through that have a certain attribute, have a certain type of attribute about themselves. If they didn't realize that they were disciplined, they now realize that they were disciplined. And if they thought the military gave them that, they're kind of, they just didn't realize that it was already there. Um, they have a certain uh, achievement orientation, a desire to be better. And again, they may not have realized it was there. The military didn't put it there. The military revealed it. Once the military had revealed these attributes, then the military trains them to a very high performing level. And you become good at a lot of different things. One of the things that you really become good at, no matter where you are in, in that line, is leadership. Because once you learn something, the military says, okay, now that you know that, I want you to turn around and teach the next guy. And then when you go to the next level, now you turn around and teach the next guy. And you learn how to be an instructor. They send you to instructor school. They send you to leadership school. You take all types of these, these training. So when you leave the military, I don't care if it was five years or whether it was 25 years, you have demonstrated the ability to be disciplined, to be creative, to be self-motivated, to be uh, all of these things that lead you to be a good member of a high-performing team. And the military speeds that up because there's a sense of urgency of national defense and we cannot fail. I want anyone who has not been through uh, the military to understand that and that every military person you meet is not from the same service. So there are different cultures and they've also had different experiences. You know, a first time uh, service member might have been in a situation where, you know, they had uh, people yelling at them all the time. But if you're a, you know, if you're a, an NCO, you don't have anybody yelling at you all day long. So it's, it's a different experience that, that you get. You, you probably the yeller and not the yelly. <laughs> yeah, we didn't like the yell, but, you know, it had to happen sometimes. But it, I hear you on that. It does. It has to happen because what you're trying to do is prepare these individuals for a combat situation when their life may be on the line and they don't have time to question, you know. Um, in the Air Force, it was a little bit different. You know, in the airplane, you know, we're the officers. We go off to fly and fight. And we have already been formed together as a high-performing team. And it's a different scenario. Uh, we all have our jobs to do, and we know what that is. So there's no time to be getting on somebody about not doing their job. If they can't do it by then, they would have been weeded out long ago. So right. it's a little different environment. But the bottom line is, yeah, sometimes you have to get in somebody's face 
because uh, you don't want them asking uh, questions in a combat situation when everybody's life is on the line. So there are there are reasons for that. But at the end of the day, I just want the non-military folks to realize that when a military person comes to you, number one, they're going to say, hey, I can do anything because they've been trained to believe that they can do anything and they've been experienced in doing anything with nothing in a very short period of time. So it's very hard for them to, get, to express that clarity to you in terms of this is my skill set, this is my value, this is what I can bring to your company. Uh, and so that conversation has to, may have to be a longer conversation where the civilian person says, you know what, I have this very high performing individual, how can I incorporate them into my organization so that I can bring all that tremendous training and ability to my benefit? the civilian might just have to take some time and pull that out and during the conversation because the military person is going to say, well, you know, just give me a shot, man. I'll do anything and I can get it done for you. So that's the one thing I would like for the non-military, for the military veterans, I'm going to say just the opposite. I'm going to say the very first thing you need to do when you're starting to be think about transition is, first of all, understand uh, if you're going into a transition, meaning you know, maybe a security police officer to civilian law enforcement or medical uh, active duty to the medical community and the civilian community, that's a transition. You know, you're using the exact same skill sets to go from one to the other. But if you're a security police officer and you want to go into information technology, that's a completely different skill set. So that's not a transition, it's a transformation. And you use all those things that you developed in active duty that were honed in active duty in that transition, and you'll bring that along with you, but you're in a transformation, and you need to understand that it's gonna take longer, so your expectations need to be adjusted, and you need to prepare maybe a little bit more from a financial standpoint to say, it may take longer, so I need to have more money so that I can weather this transformation period until I can get into that career field that inspires me and that I really wanna be a part of. So clarity. The one thing that I want to share with the, with the veterans in transition or transformation is take as much time as you need to say, my first job out of the military, I want to do this. It's a time when you have control over that choice. And if and you go back to your childhood and say, what did I do when I, what, what did I love to do when I was 10 years old, 11 years old? You know, that'll give you some clues about where you might want to uh, guide or point your next career. That's the, probably the most uh, important thing and I can say to a, a, a military veteran uh, making that move from active duty to civilian career. Some great advice for sure. So how can we, you know, for those listening, how do we get in touch with you and, and how do we get your book, Colonel? So three ways. The first way I would say, and you mentioned it early, was to go take a look at my website. Uh, www.sistro.org, S-Y-S-T-R-O.org. Take a look at my LinkedIn profile because then you'll be able to see a little bit more of my background and, and where I come from and why I'm so passionate about what I do. And then the third would be my email address, Russ, R-U-S-S, at Sistro.org. I happen to be one who loves email. <laughs> I just actually uh, this past weekend went through and processed 10,000 email notes in my uh, in between my two accounts. <laughs> That's enough to keep you busy right so, there. And so the title of the book, yeah. how can we get that book? So the book is available on Amazon and any other uh, 
book online book selling platform that's out there. But I would certainly appreciate um, asking people to go out and read the book. And if you like it, you know, give it a five star rating and leave a comment. I love getting feedback. Uh, I want to continue to build on this and improve the information that I'm that I'm putting together. As I mentioned, I'm in the in the PhD PhD program right now, where my dissertation is organization design for small business. So this information is growing. You know, I'm I'm, I'm getting to more. Uh, insightful things that I can use to help small business. And I, I'm, I'm actually working on a third book now uh, that uh, you know, should come out sometime this year, but I'm just in the process of doing that. And I want to be able to share this information. So go out there, you know, read the book, leave a comment, let me know what, what you liked about it. And, uh, and, and that would be awesome. But it's, but it, uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, the podcast is available on Apple podcasts. So the same thing, listen to the podcast, leave some comments. Uh, I would love that. What's the title of your podcast again, sir? It's the Purposefully Profitable Podcast. Purposefully Profitable. You know, I, we keep coming back to purpose. You know, I got to tell you that I'm um, really honored to have had you here on the show today, and I know we're going to have you back. But, you know, you, you've you given us a wealth of information and a wealth of your knowledge right here in a little over an hour. And uh, it means a lot, you know, to the people listening, it means a lot to me personally to know that there are professionals like you out there in the in the American business world helping others raise their game. And, and you know, for any entrepreneur listening or, you know, please visit www.sistro.org because retired Air Force combat aviator Russ Barnes is reporting to duty again, and he... He's got everything that you need to take your game to a higher level. And, you know, when I have these interviews with professionals like you, Russ, you know, I I just get so motivated and inspired to be better at what I'm doing. And uh, I just got to say that, you know, you mentioned your wife earlier. God bless her. God bless your young sons. And uh, I'm just uh, thrilled to death to know that, you guys were in those planes serving our country to the highest standard. And the United States Air Force is second to none in the skies. And uh, it's people like you and families like yours that makes me proud to be an American. And uh, I just want, want you to know that, sir. Thank you, John. And I really look forward to continuing to working with you through Green Zone Hero because you're doing a phenomenal job with that program as well. And I see great things coming out of that. So thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. Yes, sir. We'll do it again, and uh, I look forward to the next time. You're right up the road in Tampa, and uh, uh, I'm glad you're close by, and uh, hopefully we can can touch a lot of lives down the road. I know we will. Outstanding. Definitely. Thank you, sir. You got to light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.